So we're now almost three months into our journey through the Gospel of John at Everyday Church. And our last installment, we were introduced to the most remarkable encounter between Jesus and a woman who was just going through her daily routine, collecting water from a well. Seemed like a fairly simple encounter at face value until you realise that what was unearthed actually runs far deeper than the well she was stood at. Something that started off as a, a little unusual, perhaps, turned into the most amazing moment of this woman's life, a string of really unhealthy relationships and broken relationships. She discovers actually that there's a God that doesn't only want to lift the shame and the burden and the condemnation of those things from her, but actually welcomes her in, invites her into a whole, a healthy, a restored relationship with him instead. The first time anyone has been able or willing to do that for her. She'd been giving her heart to all kinds of different situations up until that point, and God says, Actually, I want to look after that heart for you now. She says, maybe a time will come when I might be able to worship God. Jesus says, now's the time. This lady who approached this well came with rejection and loneliness and shame covering who she was. She'd made a load of questionable choices in her life and she didn't have support, love, friendship around her. We can presume that because otherwise she would have been drawing water from the well in the cool of the morning with the rest of the community like they were doing. Instead, she has to walk up that dusty track by herself in the scorching midday sun. She walks out from the town heavy and burdened and disgraced, but she returns to that town the complete opposite. Totally revived, totally restored, hope renewed. And all because of an encounter with Jesus. This Jesus, the, the one who knew where she'd been, the one who knows where we've been, the one who knows where, what we've gone through and what she'd gone through, knows what we carry, knows what we've been affected by, that same God, that Son of God says, I want to restore that. I want to forgive that. I want to repurpose that in you. Friends, there is a Messiah who turns our mess in life into a message of new life. And so that lady leaves her water jug at the well and promptly goes back to her people and says, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? And do you know what happens? They do. The intrigue and the questioning of the people is met by that woman's encounter in those moments. So let's pick up the story. We're in John 4, and this is from th uh, verse 31. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you had not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told them everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just of what, because of what you said. 
Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Now in case you're wondering what happened in those moments, within that, that interaction, in those verses, the lady's encounter with Jesus becomes a moment of discovery and transformation for many others. And just like he often seems to do, Jesus uses a simple analogy, a simple symbol to paint a picture and to bring revelation to us. And so when he's referring to farming and harvesting, fields and crops like we just read, Jesus is referring to people and a time coming in, lives, coming in life when we will be changed, healed, made whole, saved. Now we recently looked at one of the most famous statements, one of the most amazing declarations in all of history in chapter three. For God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So that invitation is cast far and wide through these verses. And now just one chapter later in John four, we find Jesus putting that truth into some action. First by his interaction with this lady at the well, this rejected, isolated woman who clashed with him on all kinds of levels. He, Jesus was raised in a culture that was totally different to this lady. But then we also see the impact of this interaction spilling over onto a people, not just a person, from one Samaritan to many Samaritans. This is a people whose culture and history and traditions and even geograph uh, geographical positioning meant that they were complete enemy of the people of God, complete enemies of God, the Jewish race and his people for generations until now. When the good news of the kingdom of God steps into the center of one's pers one person's life, a chain reaction starts. A domino effect starts happening. Whether you're white or black, whether you're poor or rich, whether you were raised in a Christian home or in a, a home of no faith, whether you've made some wise choices in life or you've just made string after string of poor choices, whoever you are, whatever you've been through, there is a Lord and Savior who says, I know you. I know you at the very deepest level, deeper than this well. I'm closer than you realize. I'm more loving than you realize. I'm more forgiving than you realize and it's not in my nature to write you off. Just like it is with the Samaritan woman, God's heart is to change our perceptions and alter our words and affect our next steps that we take in life, bringing a message of hope and new life to those around us. This isn't advanced top level Christianity that only a few gifted people get to walk in and receive and enjoy. The impact on the Samaritan woman's heart shows us what happens after just a moment in the presence of Jesus. You think when you watch a great film, when you eat a great meal, when you pass through a big milestone in life, when you witness a great achievement of some sort, something in you needs to tell others about it. There's a wiring in all of us to do that. We want to speak about great things. The same is true when we meet with Jesus. It's part of the outworking of realizing that he really is now with us and now our next steps and our next opportunities that come up have a new purpose. Whether that's in the block of flats that you live in, whether that's at the school gate in the morning, whether it's in that workplace that you're spending 40 hours of your week working in, we are all like the Samaritan and we all have a Samaria. 
God gives great delight to those moments. It is, it is in, in the, the very depths of his heart to be with us in those settings and that we would go and tell others about him being there with us. Let me just make this really personal for a moment. I, I grew up in a home where there was some belief in God, but there was no real relationship with Jesus. There was no dependency on the Holy Spirit. The impact of my parents meeting Jesus and being filled with the Holy Spirit when I was about 11 or 12 was monumental. I'm not sure that any of us could or would even want to imagine what family life would be like had Jesus not stepped into the setting. Had had the, the grace of God and the mercy of God not started to reshape who we are and how we were founded. He was at the center of our story from that moment on. He'd been there all along, we just didn't realize it. Now the effect of, those, of that relationship on our relationships was so significant. The fact that my dad is also speaking at one of our venues in this very passage this week is just so incredible to me. It's such a wonderful signpost of what restoration and redemption and the kingdom can look like when it steps into the center of a family. But I want to speak for a second about one of my friends called Ben. In my life, he was the guy who ran into my situation. And he encouraged me to come and see this Jesus, the Savior, the one who had brought him hope and purpose in his life. One of the key reasons that I'm standing here right now is because of Ben. God used that guy more than I could possibly express. I was Ben's Samaria. Ben and I grew up on the same street. We went to the same school. We played football in the same park. We'd gather with friends. We played computer games. Growing up, like we were alongside each other in all kinds of different places and with all kinds of different people. But Ben was different. Something had happened to Ben. He didn't perceive people around him with the same kind of sense of competition. We went to a school that's quite macho, quite aggressive, but Ben was different. He was gentle and he was peaceful and he was kind. The kind of attributes actually that we would appreciate but probably struggle to believe were possible so consistently in someone else. Did Ben struggle from time to time? Yeah. Did Ben make mistakes? Yeah. Was he perfect? No. But now I can see that Ben was taking opportunities to simply display the character and nature of Jesus wherever he went, whoever he was with. And it didn't seem to be some kind of exhaustive effort that he would always have to carry and put on. It was just simply within the rhythms of his lifestyle and his priorities. He didn't make adjustments based on who he was with. He just had a simple relationship with Jesus and it permeated into friendships over and over and over again. And so many people noticed it, including me. He made it clear to me that Jesus had had a wonderful impact on his life and that was contagious to me. I can say with hand on heart that Ben's story, with Jesus at the very center of it, defining who he was and how he saw things, had and still continues to have an impact on my life and my faith two decades later. Now maybe you're hearing this this morning and you you would love, or this afternoon or this evening, whenever you're listening to this, and you would love to have that kind of impact on the people around you. Don't write yourself off. Don't write yourself off. When you invite the Holy Spirit to come into your life, he equips us with words and opportunities and actions and a humility that displays the kingdom of God. 
I think about that often, W-O-A-H. People are left thinking, well, words, opportunities, actions, and humility. People realize it more than we realize. People spot it more than we realize. In a confused and fractured world, Jesus is still capable of arming people with peace and hope and joy that exceed and outlast anything that the world has to offer. And there are people around, me and you, who are open to hearing this message and in need of seeing it displayed. Do you know there are people around you right now who need to hear about this? We've all missed the mark on all kinds of occasions. I speak personally in that. But Jesus doesn't write us off or give up on us today. Today is a new day and his faithfulness and his compassion is new every morning. So just take a look at your life at the moment. Think of the people you interact with. Who has God placed beside you in order that you might display or convey the truth of Jesus too? There will be someone, at least one, maybe even more people in your life. But you know, doubt and despondency lead us to believe that those people are not open to receiving from God, not open to receiving the news of Jesus. Conversations in the past maybe didn't go how we hoped they would go. We carry a few knocks and we think, well, that person's not going to want to listen to what I have to say. We're wondering whether God even wants to continue his work of redemption. Well, Jesus says to us one more, once more today, open your eyes, the fields are ripe. In verse 36, he says, even now. God has never stopped saving people. Generation after generation. You may even be hearing this today and you got saved 70 years ago. You might be hearing it and you got saved much more recently than that. Some may even cross the line of faith today. Do you know, I had the joy of praying with, with a couple not long ago and they both accepted Jesus into their life. I'd only known them for a few weeks at that point, but I know there was someone in their life who had been praying for them and loving them and serving them for years. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, really is true. God will never give up on people. He will never give up on you. Every Christian has a sphere of influence and some of those people in that circle are there because we choose to be with them. Others are given to us as a means to show greater grace, but they're all there for a reason. The field is always bigger than we imagine it to be, and it is always more ripe than we imagine it to be. The world around us, just think of your news feeds right now, the world around us needs to hear a message of hope and salvation. Do you know some people are close to it? But do you know what? Many are not. There is a light that shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. It's the most wonderful adventure to be on because we can get to live out our lives with even seemingly small and insignificant interactions becoming moments for the kingdom to step in where God really is establishing himself in those seemingly unseen, forgotten moments because he uses unseen and often forgotten people. Your people are still in your life because you have seeds to sow of truth and there are still green shoots appearing in the soil in hearts and minds of people, men and women, boys and girls, all around you. 
Notice in John 4 how the Samaritan woman runs straight back to the people, that setting where her shame and her loneliness had been residing up until that day. Her poor choices would have been seen and known by the community around her. It's hard to go through a string of broken relationships over and over again and for it to not get noticed, but that doesn't stop her. I can only imagine the kind of judgment and condemnation that she might have been shown by people within her community. And you know, she had made some poor choices in her life, that is true. But I reckon some of those people, maybe even some of those men particularly, had taken advantage of her vulnerability. And when we meet Jesus, we find a challenge on our hearts towards other people. When we receive love from him, we're propelled, we're compelled to go and show it to others in return, even if they're people that we might not want to show it to, naturally. We're greeted by Jesus for the first time as someone who has never and will never view us with any scorn or condemnation or disapproval or disappointment. And so within this interaction that we're able to see here, this lady acknowledges that there is a God who sees her more or most intimately, who forgives her and welcomes her most completely. And it transforms the perception of herself, but also for the way she sees those around her in a moment. She should have had loads of reason not to love those people. But instead she acts a completely different way towards them. She has compassion for them. She's desperate for them to receive that which she has just received herself. So you might have a really grumpy neighbor. You might have a really difficult boss. You might have a really stubborn family member who you you just find it difficult to show the love of God to. But you might still be that agent of hope this week. You might still be that person that, that needs to take a message of hope to that person. Grace and love and mercy of God into their situation this week. You might still be the one who holds open the door so that the King of Glory might step into that person's life. Who is coming to your mind as I say that? Which relationship, which person is coming to the front of your thoughts as I say those things? Do you know, most mornings before my children go off to school, I have a little hand gesture that I show them. It's this. It represents salt and light. And we, we hear or we see Jesus referring to it in Matthew 5. I want them to remember every single time they step into that classroom or into that playground that they are going with a different purpose, that they are to be salt, to bring a new flavour, that they're to bring light, to see people around them with a new perception. I do it every morning with them. I don't want them to go into those settings to become the most popular necessarily, or the most accomplished, or the most successful, but I want them to remember first and foremost that they represent a different kingdom and a different king. I want them to especially see that person who's on the edge, that person who's especially being overlooked or forgotten or bullied or whatever it might be. Because I don't think that we should write anyone off or doubt anybody or overlook anyone around us because God doesn't do that of us and we don't have to do it of other people. 
So everyday church, we are still to be salt and light, salt and light in those, in those places that we tread. The pandemic hasn't watered down that calling. When God prunes things from our lives, it doesn't water down the power of the gospel. Struggling to persevere doesn't water down the power of the gospel. Pandemics, uh, conflicts across Europe doesn't water down the gospel. If your life is hidden in, if it's covered by Jesus, John 4, 39 gives us the reminder that you have a story. It says, many Samaritans came to believe because of this woman's testimony. Don't doubt it. Don't disregard it. Don't lose sight of it. You're still where God needs you to be to have an impact. Do you know the Lord has always worked in this way, taking the sidelined, the overlooked, the mistake makers and giving them quietly pivotal roles in the unfolding of redemption within households and communities. That's how he's always worked, it's how he always will do. Now knowing this and sharing this is the ultimate sustenance, it's the ultimate satisfaction. That's why Jesus refers to that partnership with his father as being like food. Verse 32 to 34, being known by him and making him known is the greatest satisfaction. It brings the greatest nourishment to our lives. Now the lady didn't have all the bits and pieces of her life all neatly summed up and squared away and sorted out in those moments. But her heart now belonged to Jesus. She'd shared her heart with all kinds of different guys up until that point. You can be sure that her testimony, her story was a complicated one. But the pieces of the puzzle started falling into place when she spent time with Jesus. When she started seeing things through his lens and not the way way that she'd been seeing herself and others until that point. Now she'd encountered the only person who could care for her the most. And the progression of that was to go and tell everybody. Because the greatest gift that we can give to somebody in our lives is to pray for them, to take simple moments to care for them and to share Jesus with them. Nobody has crossed that line of faith with their hands tied behind their backs. It's not about winning an argument. It's not about proving a point or making making a point most forcefully. We have the privilege of planting seeds of truth and the Holy Spirit waters those grounds of belief. The greatest purpose that I can find in my life and that you can find in your life is by gently and courageously helping people to see that there is a God who knows them, that there is a God who loves them and he isn't distant or dismissive. If you're hearing this today and perhaps your understanding of who God is 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 that he's, he's one who is distant and dismissive and angry with you, The Bible displays the complete opposite of that and my experience of that has been complete opposite too. Do you know, I miss the mark all the time in life. More times than I could possibly count. I'm often full of insecurities. I have reactions uh, to those around me that I'm really ashamed of. But I find time and time again that Jesus is there to be found at the centre of who I am and the centre of those situations. The centre of my messiness not waiting for me to get stuff right before he intervenes and steps in, but right at the center, especially when I'm falling short, especially when I'm failing, holding me together, working all things for my good, welcoming me, forgiving me, 
carrying me. And he offers that to you today as well. Friends, don't apply the same principles of conditional relationships to that which Jesus offers us. Those relationships that we have on a horizontal level are so easily affected by guilt and boredom and busyness and selfishness. The way Christ welcomes us and sees us isn't affected by any of those aspects, not one of them. All of our sin, all of our shame, all of our guilt was handled by him on the cross. He willingly took all of it on. He knows, that, he knows everything I've ever said, everything I've ever done, and still took care of the punishment that I did deserve. As the perfect son of God paid the penalty for all of my wrongdoings, past, present and future, he also simultaneously at the same time was reconciling that relationship that I needed most, the one that I needed to be most whole and most secure with my heavenly father, he made it secure as well. Sins forgiven and relationship restored. Jesus didn't have outstretched arms on that cross so that he'd then keep up keep us at arm's length so just think for a second before you're about to give somebody a hug you open your arms up and then your arms come round so it is on the cross he opens up those arms so that he will then embrace us Jesus never ever ever will be tired or weary of accepting and embracing me and you no matter what our story looks like no, mo- no matter what the story sounded like I'm not holding on tightly to him, he's holding on tightly to me. And he'll never stop revealing the depths of his affections for you and me and the world around us. He'll never give up on anybody. Come to him today. Come to him if it's your first time. Come to him if it's your 100th time. Come to him in faith that that encounter will have the most wonderful knock-on effect to those relationships that you're currently part of and hoping to make sense of that others soon may declare, verse 42, for the first time for themselves, we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, I thank you for this passage that we've had the, the chance to explore today. And I pray, would you take the seeds of truth that have been shared and would you bury them in our hearts? Would you bring to the front of our minds the people who you've placed around us, who we are to be salt and light to, those people who we are to be messengers of truth to, displayers of grace and mercy to. And Holy Spirit, I want to pray if there's anybody hearing this message and they feel lonely or they feel rejected or they feel like they've done so much that they could not possibly come before you, Spirit, would you meet with them and show them that that is not true, but that you do welcome and invite all in to have a restored and whole relationship with their Heavenly Father. And it is all for your glory that we ask these things, Jesus. Amen.